Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Out of reverence for the Word of God, please stand as we read the sermon text. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it shows us what truth is. Uh, We pray that we would accept it as it is, fact, undeniable facts, and that we would live our life in accordance with your word by the power of your spirit, for the glory of your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As you know, today is the last day of 2017, and this simply means that the Earth is about to complete its orbit around the sun. Tomorrow it will start this cycle all over and uh, complete it in 365 days, only to start another, and then another, and so on, until the Lord returns. And days pass by quickly, and so do years. It's winter, and then it's summer, and then it's winter again. Um... You're a child, a college student, married with children, and a widower, and then you yourself are knocking on eternity's door. And life moves quick, life is short. We all soon will have to stand before the eternal God and give an account for how we've spent our years. In Psalm 90, David says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. And then a little further down the psalm, it says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For sooner it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So we need to count our days, and in doing so, we will realize the brevity of life and the need to live it with wisdom. And that, that requires that we make assessments prior to that final assessment on Judgment Day. We need to ask ourselves some questions. Namely, am I living with a heart of wisdom? Am I spending the time God has deposited in my account in a way that glorifies him? So what was 2017 like? Was it a year of spiritual progress or regress? Did you grow or did you shrink? Were sins conquered? Or did you repeatedly surrender to the desires of the flesh? Were relationships strengthened or weakened? Do you know the Lord more, or has your heart grown hard with worldliness? What will 2018 be like? Will you learn from your mistakes, from God's mercies, from the wins and the sins and the pains and the struggles that occurred in this past year? Will you let, or will you lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles you and run with endurance the race that's set before you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith? These are hard questions but ones that are natural to ask at the closing of a year and start of another. Everyone wants their years 
uh, to count for something. This is why there's a long tradition of New Year's resolutions. People look at where they currently are and then resolve to make some change or accomplish some goal in the coming year. And there's a widespread hate for New Year's resolutions. People grow sick of the whole new year, new me thing. I expect we'll see lots of mocking statuses on Facebook and Twitter today or just in conversation. I saw, I already saw one like a week ago that uh, I thought was pretty funny. Uh, it says, my goal for 2018 is to accomplish the goals of 2017, which I should have done in 2016 because I promised them in 2014 and planned them in 2013. And I think it's funny um, because it's true. People make grand plans and quickly fail to fall through on them. On, you know, December 31st, we say, I'm going to achieve the waistline that I had when I was 19. And on January 1st, I'm going to use this free drink coupon at Jinjin, uh, the all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. And this is why so many find resolutions to be obnoxious. They're usually nothing more than hasty goals made on the fly with little conviction or intentionality. They're dreams, just fleeting dreams. But I think they can be good. I like resolutions. I like them because the Christian life is about growth. In John John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. And then in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, Paul said, For by grace you've been saved, through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God saved us with a purpose. He desires that we bear fruit. We are created for good works. This is the growth that I'm talking about. And though it's a product of God's saving work, it does not happen without effort. It takes resolve. In 1 Timothy 4, Paul said, On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds uh, promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And then again, Paul says in Titus 2, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. The Christian life requires self-discipline. It requires labor and striving, and we should be zealously pursuing good deeds. It takes resoluteness. Thomas Manton, who was a very influential member at uh, the Westminster Assembly, he's one of the main architects of the Westminster Confession of Faith, Um, he wrote, "Certain men, certainly men are not zealous, and their hearts are not set upon the ways of God, when every slight excuse will serve the turn, and every little profit draws them away, and every petty business doth hinder them and break off communion with God, and every slender temptation doth interrupt and break off all their purpose and resolutions to duty and obedience, be it prayer, charity, or acts of righteousness. 
we must be resolute for it is by or for it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. So I'm for being resolved to do good works. And I'm for setting aside intervals where we assess ourselves, where we ask, how am I progressing? This is a good practice, and New Year's uh, resolutions could be used to this end. However, it's only true if we come at them with a Christian mind. It'd be very easy for us to be just like the world. We make plans, even make vows. It's one thing to make plans. It's another thing to vow to God. We make plans and even make vows and just drop the ball quickly. This is terrible. And we don't want our Christian testimony to be spoiled by such a practice. So we must approach resolutions as a believer submitted to God's word. Which brings us back to Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who's hasty comes surely to poverty. Now, I can't spend too much time on this, but I, I do need to commit, uh, comment on the nature of the genre of Proverbs or wisdom literature uh, because it affects how we interpret them. Proverbs are brief sayings that take the place of many words. In essence, they're the shortest poems in the Bible. They're really short sayings uh, made up usually of two sentences, but sometimes up to four. In Hebrew, they're actually even shorter than in the English. In Hebrew, uh, often the first line is three words, three Hebrew words, and the second line is four. Very small. Um, Proverbs are really like hard candy, if you think about it. Um, you have to put it in your mouth and turn it over and over again with your tongue and suck on it to get, get everything out of it. Jay Adams said that they're thought starters. Right? Proverbs gets you thinking about something. And they're short so they can be memorable and, and easy to take with you. That's the good thing about Proverbs. They're easy to memorize and, and to apply to many um, situations. So it's important to realize that they're, they're condensed wisdom or distilled wisdom. And they describe general rules. There are exceptions to the general truth they communicate. And that's something I'll come back to in a little bit. There are some exceptions to them. Now, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. There's three things I want to quickly point out or briefly point out this morning. First, it is wise to make plans. Sometimes Christians think plans are unspiritual. They have it in their heads that all growth happens without effort. They think that the spirit-led life uh, is entirely spontaneous. Uh, They think that Christian growth, if it's organic... That's a buzz term. It's not the buzz term it was 10 years ago, but it's still around. If it's organic, it'll happen naturally without plans, without resolution. I've heard some try to argue against planning from Scripture even. They go to James 4. Maybe you've heard this before. James 4, James writes, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. There, see? You shouldn't plan. <laughs> they, they, they somehow deduce that. You've got to read slower. Um, the problem here isn't the planning, but the attitude. This passage is dealing with those that boast of their plans without considering the will of the Lord. Both in the sense of his word and providence, whether these these things will come about. And to be fair, that's much of what happens this time of year 
with resolutions. It's just the boasting of fools. I'm going to finally finish that novel this year. I'm, you know, you just see the things. Think of the things you've said. You know, you're dumb enough to put them on Facebook. And then a year later, you know how they have these little time hop things, memory things? A year ago, you said this. You're like, hmm. Um, boastful plans aren't the only bad plans, though. There are three criteria or three things that should be present in the plans of Christian. Number one, our plans should be according to God's word. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. If we want plans to stand, to come to, come to something, they need to spring from Scripture. For example, you can make a plan to lose weight with the priority of getting your beach bod back. I don't like saying that, but people say that. Beach bod, it's gross. But, um, but you, you, can, you can do that. You can have that priority. Uh, or you can make a plan to lose weight because it affects your ability to provide for your family. One is motivated by vanity, and that is vanity. The other by responsibility God has given to parents to provide and take care, to have the energy that is to fulfill your duties. One more example. Let's say you're resolved to get out of debt. That's good. Proverbs 19.17, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. So it's a good goal. However, let's say you intend to achieve this by taking up a second job that requires you to work on the Lord's Day. That is wrong. In Exodus 20, God is very clear. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. And in it you shall not do any work. So both the motivation and the means should be according to God's word when we make our plans. They need to come from God's word. And you see how we can have, we can have plans that on the surface seem the same, Christian, non-Christian. But when the motivation is from the Lord, it will come to something. And when the motivation is just from the flesh, if it comes to anything, like the worst thing that could happen to a vain person is they could lose weight. But it's just become more vain. Right? That's the best thing that could happen is they wouldn't they'd gain fat. They'd get fatter somehow through their diet. And then perhaps the Lord would humble them through that. So our plans should be according to God's word. Second, our plans should be tempered by the counsel of God's people. Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they secede. Have you talked over your plans with your spouse? Many marriages get messed up because there's no communication. Communication's hard. Have you talked this over with your spouse? Have you talked it over with Christian brethren? Have you talked it over with your elders? There's no room for individualism in Christianity. Zero. It's not to say you're not an individual, but we're individuals in community. Scripture is about community. Over and over again, that comes up. And this should be reflected in all our decisions, especially as they arise in significance. I'll have a plan. I'll tell Emily and what the plan is. And she'll say, well, what about this and about this? And it just makes me so mad. Like, Let me have this for a moment, okay? Let me deceive myself into thinking that this is realistic. But being a good wife, and she's not a nag at all, but being a good wife, she starts popping holes in that. And, uh, and then it leads me to, to consider... Uh, 
the, the, the issue better. Lastly, our plans should be made recognizing God's providence over all things. Proverbs 69 says, The mind of the man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. All our plans are subject to God's providential hand. This is why we, uh, we make plans, but always say at least internally, if the Lord wills. You can make really good plans. You can have great motivations. You, you, should, you could be seeking to accomplish it with biblical means. And yet some providence comes into your life, some circumstance that keeps it from happening. And this is how we have to keep humble. It's by saying, does the Lord will this? Right? I'll do it if he wills it. I know his word says it, but God may send some circumstance in your life to accomplish something else. So I like plans and resolution because a Christian life is to be lived with intentionality. Often our lives are just thoughtless. Just kind of move, float through the world. There's little intention when it comes to prayer, to Bible study, to evangelism, fellowship, generosity, and so forth. Plans help create intentionality. In general, things don't just happen. That's the funny thing. Um, When you start making plans and resolutions and systems, like I'm going to wake up in the morning, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes, and I'm going to pray using the Lord's Prayer as an outline, right? Monday through Friday. That's a plan. It's an achievable plan. What's funny is something that starts off as a plan and a discipline in time can become a habit. It's the opposite. They got it wrong. They think it's got to be spontaneous, and then it will become the norm. No, but we, we need to be trained. We need to build habits. That's what discipline's all about. So plans require consideration, which in turn requires meditation. As we stare into the mirror of Scripture, we see ourselves for who we really are and who God commands us to be. This should lead to resolutions, to a resolution by God's grace to put off the old man and put on the new man. Our plans don't have to be complicated. They can be simple. The key is that they're intentional. We have to be intentional in how we approach these things. God commands them. He says, Jesus says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give alms. Right? So assume that you do it. And uh, so, first, plans are good. Second, the best plans without diligence are worthless. The best plans, best motivations, best means, all that. So these don't matter without a diligence. It's only the plan of the diligence that come to advantage. Everyone who's hasty comes to poverty. They fail, in other words. Generally, diligence is contrasted with sloth or sluggishness in Scripture. I I actually preached a sermon on it a couple months ago. Um, But that's not what's happening here. Albert Barnes, he said, Here, diligence is opposed not to sloth, but to haste. Undue hurry is as fatal to success as undue procrastination. Undue hurry is as fatal to success as undue procrastination. Matthew Henry, picking up on the same thing, says, Those that are hasty, that are rash and inconsiderate in their affairs, and will not take time to think that are greedy of gain by right or wrong, make haste to be rich by unjust practices or unwise projects, are in the ready road to poverty. Their thoughts and contrivances by which they hope to raise themselves will ruin them. This is the main problem with so many resolutions and plans, is that they're made from a hasty mind, not a diligent one. They're pieced together on the fly. Haste has a strong relationship to sloth, 
We usually have been sluggish in whatever duties that, that God has given us. And then we have an epiphany that our sluggishness has, has led to some real problem that's about to affect us. Then in a flurry of activity, we seek, seek to quickly resolve the problem, some resolution. For example, you were sluggish in the maintenance of your health for years. This is, I'm using this example because this is the one that comes up over and over again on New Year's. But you were sluggish in the maintenance of your health for years. You didn't eat right. You didn't exercise. You didn't sleep. And month after month, year after year, and now your doctor is saying that you're in bad shape. What do you do? Well, most people take uh, or lay out some all-encompassing extreme workout and diet plan only to fail. Why? The problem was that they didn't figure in the weakness of their diligence. That after all, that had been the main issue. For years and years, they've neglected these things. It wasn't, everyone thinks it's just the plan. Like, if I have the plan, I'll do it. There's a million good plans for all sorts of things. You want to get your finances straight? You know, Crown Ministries, Larry Briquette, if you remember him, uh, was Dave Ramsey. There's a ton of things out there. Anyone can do it. Is that really what's in the way of getting your finances straight in a way that honors God, the plan? Uh, was, a lot of times it's just too much too soon. Self-discipline takes time. It doesn't develop overnight. It starts by being faithful in the little things over and over and over again until they become habits. And there's momentum. The 1828 Webster gives a great definition of diligence. It says, Diligence is the steady application in business of any kind, constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken, exertion of body or mind without unnecessary delay or sloth. The steady application in business of any kind. Constant effort. Diligence is plodding. Plodding away. You must plot away at things day by day faithfully. This is what God blesses according to his word. You would do better, for example, if you read a single chapter of scripture every day this year. You would do way better if you read a single chapter than sporadically read 10 chapters here and there. You will do better if you save a small amount of money out of every paycheck over sporadically putting money in your savings here and there. This is just the truth. Things accumulate over time if they're done with diligence. Diligence is the philosopher's stone that turns everything to gold. Even uh, better, diligence turns plans into habits. Spurgeon says, One of these days you may be unable to get rid of those habits which you are now forming. At first, the net of habit is made of cobwebs. You can soon break it through. By and by, it's made of twine. Soon it will be made of rope, and last of all, be made strong as steel, and then you will be fatally ensnared. We're always forming habits. The question is, are they godly habits? You can be ensnared in a steel web of sin or in a steel web of godly habits. Therefore, make godly plans and diligently give yourself to them. Think about that. Third, God rewards, the third point out of this, God rewards those who diligently live according to his word, with advantage, with success. As I earlier said, Proverbs is general truth. There are exceptions. So there are people who aren't diligent that find success for a time. Maybe even for the entire life, I can think of entire periods of my life where I was able to succeed on hasty efforts alone. I'm thankful that God has sent hardship uh, to wake me up. This is one of the many blessings that come from trial. They shake you awake. There are also people who have made diligent plans and haven't found success per se. 
They worked out faithfully, but yet died of a heart attack young. They saved money and lived frugally, but some tragic event caused them to go bankrupt. But still, God rewards diligent plans, not hasty efforts. This general truth should be accepted by all, regardless of what exceptional cases you've seen in your life and the life of others. Just because you got away with it last time doesn't mean you'll get away with it next time. Sometimes God is being merciful in allowing things to work out. Sometimes he's setting you up for a bigger fall to humble you, allowing you to continue in your hasty efforts. And when you have been faithful and bad things happen, some trial or whatever, you must remember that the Lord sends trials to accomplish something in you, and this world is not our home. He's preparing you for heaven. God sends trials to save some and withholds trials to destroy others. We should remember Hebrews 11.6. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God blesses diligence when it's employed in seeking him. God will not bless sloth and haste. I should say, I guess, what does this have to do with the gospel? This, does this sound like legalism? We've been born again. Like I said earlier, God has redeemed us from every lawless work or deed so we would be zealous for good works. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, by God's grace, that uh, we become more like his son. So let your 2018 be marked with resolve to live biblically with intentionality and diligence. If you want to grow spiritually, give yourself diligently to the means of grace. Develop a habit of prayer. Here's one that's really easy. Every Wednesday, we have a corporate prayer meeting. We do it. We set these, uh, the, we set these meetings so there's something regular. That's a good start. Corporate prayer meetings will lead you to pray more. I know um, Emily and I do contenders and keepers. But we take a break at the end of the year, and it's, it's been incredibly refreshing to sit in those prayer meetings, to hear people pray and children pray. And it, and it, it immediately has led to more prayer in my own life. Come up with some simple plan to wake up in the morning and pray, or to pray at e- in the evening. Pray at lunch. I don't know what works for you, but be intentional. Develop a habit of Bible study. If you need extra accountability, you can do that hardcore Bible in 88 days thing. where Andrew's done that. Some other guys have done that. That might work for you. If you know that's going to mean that you read Matthew this year, um, you should uh, do something else. But be systematic in your approach to Scripture. Don't just play uh, Bible roulette, right? But uh, have a, a plan. There's some that we can point you towards. Be, essential, or be intentional when it comes to evangelism. Set forth carefully considered plans that push you to grow without breaking. This should always be going on, not just New Year's. If we're going to grow as a church in numbers and grace, it's going to happen by being intentional. Uh, you must, uh, we, we must uh, be intentional and consistent in our evangelism. I was so encouraged. By the number of guests that I saw at the um, Christmas Eve service. How refreshing was that? They came and heard the gospel. And they heard all those beautiful songs that are here. And, and you're going to be able, next time you walk through your neighborhood, 
and say, hey, what did you think about that? What song did you like? Why did you like it? You're just gonna be able, there's just going to be a doorway into their life from here on out because of that. And we have to do that over and over again. you got to take little steps and then repeat them. You have to continue to invite neighbors and coworkers into the church and into your home. I would challenge you, set the bar low, to invite someone new every other week this year. Just invite someone new. Right? Like if you're on your way to, you know, it's like the day before church. And you stop to get gas. Just ask the gas station person to come. Right? I got to slip this in real quick, man. I haven't got my person in. But make it a habit to invite people. Uh, make it a habit to get in conversations. But start with some sort of plan. God will give us the advantage if we're diligent. He honors this. This is the way the world works that he made. Cast away haste by putting aside time for meditation and self-examination. We have so many distractions. Our phones, right? Who's the tool, right? The phone or us? It's hard to say sometimes. Television, uh, just unspiritual, unhelpful commitments that need to be trimmed. But we need to put aside time to soak in God's word, to seek him in prayer, so we can self-examine ourselves in a way that's helpful, that will actually see who we are. Don't procrastinate. You never have as much time as you think you do. Right? Today is the day to get serious about being diligent. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Proverbs was written to make us wise. And God tells us to number our days that we may present to him a heart of wisdom. So be resolved to apply Proverbs 21.5 towards this end. 2008, let it be a, a year of worship and dedication to God. Let's pray.